0: All right, well, let's ask God's blessing on our time of the word. Dear Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity here in this country to read and herald the word of Jesus without fear of persecution. Lord, I just ask that you would Help us to um, just give our ear fully to your word this morning as we seek to hear what you have for us from Acts chapter 8. We pray your blessing on our time now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So this morning, we're going to be finishing up Acts chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at another story about a guy named Philip, the evangelist. Philip, Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, Call Philip an evangelist, a gospelist, one who gospelizes, and he has how many daughters, anybody remember? Four daughters. Kind of a random detail there, but... He's got four girls, and they all are prophets. They they tell truth from God to God's people by the Spirit. And Philip is an evangelist, and this is a story about another aspect of his ministry. So last week we learned that he went up to the region of Samaria after the persecution that broke out after the, the murder of Stephen. And Philip goes north to Samaria. So I didn't prep him before, but Gary, could you click to the next slide? I should have a map up here. Okay, yeah. So persecution breaks out in Jerusalem. You see that? And so Philip goes up to Samaria, north, and he preaches the gospel there. You can just leave that up for a little while, Gary. Hopefully it's not too distracting. Um, and many people are brought to saving faith. Now, what we're going to look at now in the book of Acts and for the next few chapters is how individuals are converted to faith. The first one is this Ethiopian guy. The second one in chapter 9 is Saul, also called Paul. And the third guy we're going to learn about in chapter 10 is a man named Cornelius. So, remember, up till now, we've been learning about group conversions. In Acts 2, verse 41, 3,000 believe. In Acts 4, verse 4, the number of men reaches 5,000. In Acts 6, verse 7, a large number of priests become obedient to the faith. In Acts 8, verse 12, many of the Samaritans believe and were baptized, but now... We're going to say, not not only does the gospel go big, but it's also starts small in each individual's life. And so, the unnamed Ethiopian guy works for the Queen of Ethiopia, and we'll be talking about him this morning. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the passage, and I'm going to stop every verse or two and explain some things. And then we'll circle around and... Have three uh, takeaways and some application. So, um, if, if I think it would be helpful for you if you had the passage in front of you, um, because, like I said, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be stopping. So, so just so you know, like when I stop, what's not my words and what or what's my words and what's the passage's words. It'd be helpful for you to have it in front of you and be following along. So, Acts eight, verse twenty six. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So see, road to Gaza. And there's Gaza, right along the Mediterranean Sea there. You ever read about the Gaza Strip in the news? A lot of rockets come from Gaza and go that way. Alright, so Philip had been north. Now he goes past. Now I'm assuming because of the persecution he bypassed Jerusalem. Um, Probably had a price on his head. And he heads down there. Okay. Um, And he's on a wilderness road in the middle of nowhere. Now, we're not told that the angel tells Philip anything else. Just go south, young man. So, <laughs> Philip goes. In verse 27, he starts out, and on his way, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of, if you have the NID, it says, all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. So, first Philip meets an Ethiopian. Um, This guy would not have been from what we would call modern Ethiopia. In the Bible, Ethiopia is often called the land of Cush. You ever read that in your Old Testament? All the way to Cush. This land of Cush, C-U-S-H, refers to the ancient Nubian kingdom located to the south of Egypt nowadays we call it Sudan so again this is a Sudanese guy anything anybody know anything about uh, Sudanese it's color of their skin right dark it's some of the darkest and and the Nubians are even darker like some of the darkest people on the earth and the Bible actually, um, makes reference to this sometimes, you know, the, the dark skin of, of the Ethiopian. Can a can a leopard change its spots or an Ethiopian's skin? It, and and it wasn't a racist thing. Um, there was plenty of racism in the Old Testament, uh, but it was between people groups. It had nothing to do with skin color, as far as we're aware. Not like in modern times, because everyone was just different shades of dark in the Middle East, right? I mean, it wasn't wasn't like that, but. This guy is Sudanese. Um, he's a eunuch, which means he's been castrated. The reason he was a eunuch is because he worked very closely with the queen of Ethiopia. Her name is actually not Candace, as many of our translations might make you think. Like, you ever know a girl named Candace? That's OK. That's, that's a cute name, right? But like, it's actually a title. It's pronounced. Kandake, the the Kandake, the the Candace, right? Um, It means Queen of Ethiopia. So, there would have been dozens of Kandake over the years, right? Everybody who becomes the Queen of Ethiopia is called the Kandake. She was the Kandake. Back in the day, if men were going to be working closely with any ladies, any of the king's wives, and especially the Kandake, well... They would have to have a special surgery to make sure that no funny business happened between them and the queen or any women associated with the king. So, this guy was a eunuch. And he wasn't just any old servant. He wasn't in charge of her horses or in charge of her house cleaning. No, he oversaw her treasury, he was her private banker. So, this guy is a Big wig in Ethiopia. He's, he's the money backs. He's important. You think she trusted him? Probably. He is a trustworthy guy. Reliable. And in verse 27, we learn this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. You see that? This dark-skinned Ethiopian eunuch travels from modern Sudan... All the way up to Jerusalem. And the only reason he would do that is if he had been converted to Judaism. He was a worshiper, a follower of Yahweh, the God of Israel. But as a eunuch, he would not have been able to participate very closely in the worship at the temple. Probably allowed in the outer courts, but that would be it. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, in the Law of Moses, we read this. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. There are many other requirements for entering into the temple. We don't have time to unpack all the reasons why. I'll just say this. The temple was a a picture of going back to Eden, going back to perfection going back to God's face, going back to the world the way it was supposed to be, and to go into the temple with uncleanness or brokenness or twistedness was basically to say, our sin, that hadn't been dealt with, was to say, this brokenness belongs in the new creation. I want my leprosy in the new world that God is going to make one day. That, that's what that would re- represent. So the unclean or those who had been maimed or broken stayed outside. And that's a much longer conversation We can talk about the clean and unclean laws and how it wasn't sinful to be in a state of uncleanness. What would be sinful is to waltz into the temple in a state of uncleanness. And uh, we did talk about a lot of that when we preached through Leviticus, um, but this is a sermon on Acts. The point being, this guy while he was, it was great that he was a worshipper of Yahweh, he was viewed very much a, as the outside, and it would have been very limiting what he would be able to do. And this is going to be really important for what we see a little bit later in Isaiah chapter 55 about eunuchs. So, he's in Jerusalem, and now look at verse 28. On his way home, he's sitting in his chariot reading the book or the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. This is another sign that this guy is very wealthy. He's got his own personal copy of Isaiah's scroll. You probably picked it up in Jerusalem. In general, individuals, you, you, have, you all have a Bible. That didn't happen in the ancient world. People didn't just have Bibles. They didn't just have scrolls. They were very valuable, very expensive, um, and, and most people couldn't even read them if they had them you you went to the synagogue to hear it read and you would remember it orally but this guy can read super well and he probably has the greek translation of isaiah which we call the septuagint in other words he probably doesn't speak hebrew he's reading from the septuagint the greek translation of the hebrew and we can know that because we have the septuagint we can i have it on my computer i don't have a hard copy of it but what this ethiopian eunuch is reading aloud, we see it recorded in Acts, is the Septuagint, which is a translation of the Hebrew. And verse, he's reading Isaiah, and in verse 29 the Spirit says to Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So see, he's reading out loud. And and Philip, as he's running next to the chariot, which must have been moving quite slowly, um, says, you know, he's, he, He's keeping pace with a the chariot. Um, there, there's some similarities we'll see in a minute to the prophet Elijah with Philip being transported <laughs> miraculously by the Spirit. But can anybody remember the story about Elijah in, in 1 Kings 18 running ahead of King's, King Ahab's chariot? Um, there's all kinds of little fun things like this in the stories in Acts. It's like Philip's kind of like a, a prophet, like Elijah, and he's running with a chariot. All right, and, and and then as he's running, or yeah, he says run up to it. Uh, he's running next to the chariot. He hears the guy, and and um, and he asks him, "Do you understand what you're reading?" Fair enough, you know. Here's this dark-skinned Sudanese guy, right? And and he's obviously not Jewish, and he's reading Isaiah 53. And he says, Hey, do you you understand what you're, you're reading? He says, How can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he says, Come on, sit with me. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb, verse 32. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? That's Isaiah 53 in our Bibles. The eunuch asks Philip, Tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about? This guy who dies like a sheep, whose life is taken from the earth, who's deprived of justice. Who is he? Is he talking about himself? Is Isaiah speaking about his own experience? Or is he talking about somebody else? And then Philip says, I'm glad you asked. He begins with that very passage. And he began with it, which means he goes elsewhere. But that was the diving board for Philip into talking to him about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look... Here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders, stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, up out, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now, notice that this joy is the same joyful response to the gospel that we see back in chapter 8, verse 8 when the Samaritans come to faith in Christ. you see that? If you want to look back at chapter 8, verse 8, there's great joy when they receive the gospel message. And now when the Ethiopian receives it, there's great joy. The gospel brings joy. It's good news. And then Philip, verse 40, appeared at Azotus and traveled. See, See, now he's teleported to Azotus. Okay? And preach the gospel in all the towns until he reaches Caesarea. Azotus is about 20 miles from Gaza. Now, he preaches the gospel in all the towns until he reaches Caesarea, which uh, it's not on this map, but it's up there. And, um, and then in Acts 21, when we read about Philip, he's still living in Caesarea with his four daughters. So that's the story about Philip in a nutshell and now we're going to circle back around and we're going to look together at three things from this and this is all on your bulletin in the the back of your bulletin we're going to look at the Lord's direction in this whole event the the Lord is totally directing this whole thing second, we'll look at Philip's message to the eunuch and third, we'll look at the, the eunuch's salvation so first, the Lord's direction as the story starts out we read, an angel appears to Philip. Most likely this is happening in a dream, like an angel appears to Joseph in a dream multiple times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, both Josephs, the husband of Mary. And, and an the angel communicates to Philip that he's supposed to go down on a journey, down a road in the middle of the desert, down to Gaza, a Philistine town at that time. Go down the middle of the desert. Why? Why? The angel doesn't say. Shouldn't he go to a city? A city center? A big place where there's lots of big people to learn about Jesus? This seems not to make sense. But Philip goes obediently. unquestioningly. He doesn't question the mission that God sends him on. At least, not that we know of there's plenty of times in the Bible where an angel appears to people and people question right so the New Testament is not afraid to point out when people question the word of the Lord from angels but the Lord doesn't question he goes go down the desert road you've had enough of a ministry in Samaria time to hit the hit the dusty road and go to Gaza And a chariot appears, probably coming past him, going south back to Sudan or Ethiopia. And it's probably passing him because chariots go faster than people. And as the chariot goes cruising by, you know, Stephen's walking down this dirt road all by himself, and the dust is coming. And and, and, you know in the desert, you can see this from miles away. He's probably been watching this dust come behind him for like, a really long time and finally at some point in the day the chariot goes by him and all of a sudden the spirit communicates to philip verse 29 go to that chariot and stay near it so then philip was like oh whoa, whoa hold on he runs up to the chariot now in the book of acts there's several ways that the spirit of Jesus chooses to communicate to the people of Jesus through angels, that happened back a few minutes, a few verses before, through dreams and visions, through the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, through prophets, prophetic words from other Christians, and through verbal prompts. Now, some Christians um, really are. Believe, usually pretty passionately believe, that the Spirit never uses verbal prompts anymore. The days of verbal promptings from the Holy Spirit are over. Other Christians go to the opposite extreme and feel like this is the normative way that the Spirit communicates with people, as if Christians are people who have a walkie-talkie with heaven, and it's just constantly on, like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. I don't think either extreme is correct. I believe that the Spirit can and sometimes does enable the people of God to hear a verbal word from the Lord. Do they hear it in their head? Do they hear it audibly? Well, when I have spoken with good friends or people close to me that say they heard from the Lord in that way, they've described it as an audible voice that they can hear in their own spirit, their heart. Or, as you might say, I hear voices in my head. Okay? And obviously, we have to be extremely careful with voices in our head. All the different cults and false religions of the world... Almost all of them, if you look at their histories, start with bright lights, an angel speaking, and voices in the head. Okay, All the cults and false religions. Because not only does God communicate to us, but we are not alone in the universe. There is a spirit realm all around us. And so if we do feel like we hear the Spirit saying something to us, we must be very careful to test what we think the Spirit is saying against the Word of God and the wisdom of the people of God. This is why the writers in the New Testament will say things like, test the Spirits to see which one is from God. However, I don't believe that we can or should say that the Spirit never communicates with the people of God this way in the 21st century. So here's here's an example from my own experience, right? 25 years ago or so, my father woke up suddenly in the middle of the night with an overwhelming voice in his head pressing on his mind and on his heart pray for Matt. Matt was a police officer whose wife went to our church, and Matt was not really walking with the Lord at the time. And at that very moment, Matt was in, ex- ex- at 2 a.m., Matt was in an extremely dangerous, high speed chase. In Argyle. And dad prayed. Woke up and prayed. And then the next day, heard from Karen, the guy's wife, what, what had happened. It was at that exact time when dad was woken up to pray. And if you talk to enough Christians, you will hear dozens of stories like this. And often it has to do with prayer. Pray this. Say this. Another example. 13 years ago, roughly, I had a friend whose girlfriend broke up with him shortly before he was hoping to propose to her. She didn't have a great reason at the time. At least, not that she told him. It was actually really frustrating when we processed together, my friend and I, on the phone. It was a God-told-me-to-break-up-with-you moment. Not only did he get rejected by her, but it felt like at the time, like, God, you know, what's going on? Come on, you've got like a walkie-talkie with heaven? You're not supposed to marry me. Well, this girl was a Christian who had been through a lot of trauma in her life. She had a really hard past. She was very fragile in her faith. She really felt like she heard the Spirit pressing on her, pushing her out of the relationship. We didn't really understand why. Well, only a year or so after the breakup, my friend abandoned his faith in Jesus and went down a very dark path of alcohol and drugs. He's doing better better now from a physical standpoint. However, had he been married at the time, which was his intent, I can only imagine the trauma that that would have caused that girl. And so I want to tread a little more carefully. It's a sobering story. But when somebody says, I just felt like God communicated something to me, um, yeah, you might want to ask questions about what that's like. But I do believe God can and does speak to his people that way. That's not the normative way. Normative ways through his word, but often spirit prompts us in different means. So, back to our story Philip hears the spirit, he gets this verbal prompt go stay near the chariot. Again, I do not believe this was a go stay near the chariot. No. Overwhelming sense, do it, and he does. And here's the Ethiopian reading aloud in the most important prophecy, one of the most ones, about Jesus in the whole Bible. Isaiah fifty three. What are the odds? Well, if God's in charge, the odds are pretty good. So we're gonna circle around to that in a minute. I just want to point out one more thing about the Lord's direction in Philip's ministry. As soon as Philip's done baptizing the guy, Philip literally disappears. Then he reappears in a town 20 miles away called Azotus. So, Gary, you can click the slide out link. This type of thing happens in a few other places in the Bible. For example, it happens to the risen Lord Jesus in Luke's gospel, chapter 24. Luke's walking along, Jesus is walking along the road with a couple guys after his resurrection. And once again, they, once they recognize him, he's taken from them and reappears elsewhere. Apparently this phenomenon also happens in the book of Kings to the prophet Elijah. You can read about that in 1 Kings 18, which I mentioned earlier. Elijah running with the chariot. Uh, 1 Kings 18, verse 12. um, The prophet Elijah can be carried by the Spirit of the Lord. This is not a normative way that God transports people. But it can and it does happen. Here's an example from thing I've heard of. My brother Luke. You see a lot of crazy stuff in the jungle. I didn't mention this earlier. Three sorcerers. Remember Simon we learned about last week? Three sorcerers, witch doctors, came to faith in Christ last week in Papua New Guinea at a workshop that was being done way out in the brush. And so God's spirit is on the move. We don't see sorcerers come to faith in Grandville very much. I don't know if there's a thriving sorcerer population. But there is there. Well, several years ago, um, a fellow Bible teacher in Papua New Guinea was walking up to a bridge in the dark way out in the jungle. Okay, He knew that several men, two men I think it was, were, were probably waiting to murder him somewhere along that trail. And so he was singing hymns and praying out loud as he was walking through the jungle, thinking, people want to kill me, and they're, they're waiting for me somewhere. And that night, the man actually did happen to be waiting by the bridge to knife him. And suddenly, the Christian found himself on the other side of the bridge, safe from harm, and he continued on his way. And the would-be murderers were absolutely freaked out. They heard the singing coming. You, you, you ever hear like a car coming toward you with a, a horn blaring? Right? They heard the singing coming and they heard the singing going on the other side of the bridge and they were freaked out. Absolutely freaked out. Did this guy imagine this happen? This Christian man? Did he make it all up? Luke's hearing this second hand. Luke wasn't there. I wasn't there. But, so we'll never know for 100% certainty. However, I do know that the Spirit of God can do things like this. He does it here in the story with Philip. In this story, the Spirit of Jesus Christ has a mission. He wants to send Philip into the wilderness to save one man, and when the mission's over, Redirects him. You're not going to Ethiopia, Philip. Don't get any ideas. You're going to Azotus. Mission accomplished. Now, let's look a little more closely at Philip's message. As Philip's running next to the chariot, he hears the man reading from Isaiah 53. Luke, the gospel writer here and in the book of Acts, he's writing, he provides us with a summary of what was heard. So, we don't hear the whole of Isaiah 53 read here. This is just a little snippet from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 says other things than what we read here. Things like, he bore the sin of many. And the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. So the eunuch is wondering, what is going on in this passage? This human who's bearing the sins of God's people, who's like a lamb. What's this about? Philip hops into the chariot, and his preaching of the gospel begins with Isaiah 53. This is a prophecy of Jesus' sacrifice to take away the sins of his people. And what I want you to see is if you want to turn in your Bibles, you could to Isaiah chapter 55. There weren't chapters in the original Hebrew or Greek manuscripts, right, those we added later to kind of find our way around these massive books, um, kind of like a compass or a navigational system for Americans um, and Western peoples, right, and now globally used. It's helpful, but they weren't there. So it was just a few verses later from the Ethiopian, all right? And, and just a few verses later, after the words spoken in Isaiah about this sacrifice of this lamb, The prophet Isaiah goes on in his scroll to talk about other things related to God's salvation described in chapter 53. So this servant suffers for the many in Isaiah 53, and then lots of things happen in Isaiah chapter 54 and 55 that are related. We read these important words, Isaiah 55, 3-5. Let no foreigner who is bound to Yahweh, the Lord, say... Yahweh will surely exclude me from his people. I'm not Jewish, so I'm out. Don't say that, foreigner. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. In other words, I'm childless. That's exactly what this eunuch with Philip is, right? He's a foreigner and a dry tree. A tree that has not borne fruit. He's childless. So what's God's word for this eunuch who's just left the temple in Jerusalem from worshiping? but probably had to be on the outskirts because of his condition. Verse 4 in Isaiah 55, For this is what Yahweh says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, my rest, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure Forever. Now I've got to think. We're not told this, but I've got to think that Philip, when he starts talking about Jesus from what we call Isaiah 53, it's all in the context of what Jesus did. He's got to be going to Isaiah 55 to show this unit. Is it? Did I say? Am I saying 55 the whole time? Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. If you're so confused. That, I don't know why that. So I, I said, "Well, there wasn't chapters anyway." It's Isaiah fifty-six. Thanks, Ben. Isaiah fifty-six, three to five. Isaiah fifty-six, three to five. And if you look at Isaiah fifty-four, verse one, it says something so similar. "Rejoice, barren woman who didn't have kids, right? If, if you don't have kids, don't be sad because." Through this servant's suffering and sacrifice, you're going to become part of God's family. And you're going to have a name that lasts forever. Alright? Even though you have no children to carry on your, your family name, you'll have a spiritual family. You'll dwell in the house of God, with God, for eternity. So the gospel about Jesus from Isaiah... 53 to 56 <laughs> Is good news For this eunuch Very good news And now let's look at his Salvation statement. First he wants to understand the word You see that in verse 31 People that place their faith in Jesus They have a desire to understand The truth about Jesus They, sing, they say things like I want to know more About this I don't want to just be ignorant about the things of God. So tell me. It's, is it frustrating to read things you don't understand? Yeah. Like when I read anything about math. It's very frustrating. And I would go to my mom and I would say tell me! And she'd be like, I don't know. Read it again. At one point, my Algebra 2 book went on a little field trip out the window And into the snow That wasn't good Don't do that Isaac <laughs> So Philip sits down and starts with Isaac This guy wants to know What's going on He's in the middle of the desert Reading about Jesus and he's very confused And The spirit's like I got a solution for that And sends Philip out into the desert with One job Tell him about Jesus and then come home, or go to his office. So, he starts, and he tells this man the good news about Jesus. And then, in verse 38, the eunuch wants to be baptized. Look, water! What prevents me from being baptized? Which is obviously a rhetorical question. The answer is, nothing prevents you from being baptized. Again, like I mentioned last week, about the baptism of the Samaritans and Philip, at Samaritans and Simon, remember last week's story. We don't really see a huge hesitation here on the part of Philip. He's had plenty of times. They've had some. They've had chariot time together, and he knows this guy has been a worshiper of Yahweh, and it clicks. He wants to follow Jesus. He knows God's law. He's he's reading God's word, and he wants to be a part. Of it of the family of Jesus. And so, he says, nothing's preventing you. So he immediately baptizes him. As they come out of the water, Philip disappears. I'll mention this. We, We talked about this at length in our sermon discussion time. Verse 37, some of you may have it in the Bible in italics. Some of you might have it in a footnote. the the very oldest, most reliable manuscripts that we have of the New Testament do not include verse 37. Verse 37, the eunuchs, basically Philip tells the eunuch, if you believe with all your heart and confess that Jesus is the Son of God, then you can go into the water. Most likely this was added later by a scribe who said, wait, we know where do we read that the eunuch had faith in Jesus, but back in the previous story, in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, we read that the Samaritans had to believe to be baptized, and Simon had to believe to be baptized, so I'll just add this. That's why all the later manuscripts contain it. The manuscripts that are about a thousand years old and and younger, but the ones that are the earliest don't. And so some of your translations um, might include it, or put it in italics, but again, verse 37 was probably not part of the original. Um, But it doesn't change anything about the story. Obviously the eunuch had faith, because That's the point of the book of Acts. He trusts Jesus. He wants to be baptized. And as they come up out of the water, Philip disappears. And I want you to notice two things. First, the eunuch goes on his way rejoicing. right? And I already talked about this earlier, but when the Samaritans came to faith, in chapter 8, verse 8, there was great rejoicing in the city. So here we see the same result. Trusting Jesus, being baptized into the name of Jesus, brings joy. Holding Jesus at arm's length hedging our bets, uncertain. Um, that doesn't lead to joy in Jesus. Well, I'll just kind of be a part of Jesus and keep him in my back pocket just in case it's true. No, go all in, and you'll find joy in the Lord. And the eunuch is all in. And the second thing, after going all in, he goes on his way goes back to Ethiopia which is really, really precious in the book of Acts. What we're seeing is that the word of God is spreading now to the ends of the earth. Remember Acts 1 verse 8? Jesus says this. Some of you may remember because we tried to memorize it. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, which were Philip just left, and to the outermost parts of the earth, to the ends of the earth. Do you see the progression? They were in Jerusalem. Stephen dies. They go to Samaria. Lots of people get saved. And then Philip goes and talks to a eunuch who brings the gospel to Sudan. Right? Goes on his way. You think he told told the Kandake about it? I'm sure he did. Many of the early Christians were from Egypt and from those regions. So now let's look at some takeaways. First, this is some practical things for us to think through. First, sometimes God may call you and I to do things, to go places that might not make a lot of sense to us. Philip is ministering to lots of people in Samaria. Things seem to be going really well there. And then God calls him down a desert road alone. All by himself. That's pretty unique. Do you know that? In the book of Acts, they usually go out two by two. But God just has a job for one guy. Because only one guy can fit in a chariot. It's probably pretty tight. I doubt they sat on each other's laps, but... You know, come up in the chariot with me. They're not big. Chariots, I don't know if you've seen them. There's only so much a horse can tow. So, anyways, it was a job for one man. We don't know what Philip was thinking, but maybe he might have wondered, huh, I wonder what God's up to. But because he trusted the Lord, he went, even though he didn't know what God was up to. But God brought him out there to talk to one person about Jesus why he went on the desert road. Which brings us to the second thing I want to mention. Maybe God has you where you're at to reach one person. Maybe it's your current job to talk to one person about Jesus. Maybe you're wondering, like, why am I here? Why am I a part of this? Why should I still be involved with that? What's in it for me What's the point? Well, I encourage you. Look around you. Do you see a chariot bringing someone into your life? Well, probably not a chariot. But, though if that did happen, then you really should pay attention, right? (laughs) Um, But, pray about this. Ask the Lord. Lord, show me who do you want me to run up to today, this month this year. Philip didn't just jump into the chariot with the guy either. He was invited. What Philip did was place himself near the guy and ask an open-owned question. Do you understand what you're reading? Who is God calling you to place yourself near so that you might have that opportunity? What do you think about Jesus Have you ever been a part of a church? What was that like? It was a horrible experience. Horrible, right? Or whatever that is. You're never going to have that opportunity to talk to someone if you don't put yourself near them in your life. The third thing is the Holy Spirit totally prepared the ground for this guy to be saved. This guy is not just reading any part of the scroll of Isaiah. No, as Philip runs up, this Ethiopian guy is reading the exact place in Isaiah that talks about Jesus' sacrifice to pay for sin. That's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. There may be a thousand people you interact with over the course of this year, 2023. There may be a lot of people that you have an opportunity to say something to about Jesus. But who is the Spirit of Let's pray that the Lord would guide us to people who are asking questions about Jesus. People who are hungry to know. How can I understand about the gospel unless somebody explains it? And there you are. The fourth thing I want to mention is this. When Philip got up into that chariot, he opened his mouth and he talked to the guy about Jesus. He didn't debate with him about the politics of Ethiopia or whether or not the Kandake was a just ruler or whatever. right? No, he he kept the conversation focused on the Lord Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, try, if you can, not to get off in the weeds with people that don't know the Lord, debating things that may be downstream from following Jesus. We can... Talk about all sorts of morality and ethics and right and wrong after helping people understand who Jesus is, why he came, and what it means to follow him. Stay focused on Jesus. And notice, finally, that the Ethiopian doesn't have to be dragged to the water to be baptized. You notice that? He takes the initiative. He wants it. He asks for it. If somebody needs to be coerced to be baptized, right, say Jesus. Say Jesus. They're not ready to follow Jesus yet. We we can explain to people that they must be baptized to follow Jesus, but every individual's got to reach that moment in their life where they say, bring the water. I want to follow Jesus. I'm going all in. We've talked about this many times when we've taught on baptism. But what baptism, going through the water's pictures, is is two related things. One, I want to be cleaned by Jesus and be on the other side, in a new creation, on the other side of death. The water that could kill me I want to be on that side, in the new creation, with Jesus one day. Cleaned from my sins. Cleansed. And the water, so water pictures, the cleansing and water pictures going through death and staying alive because of Jesus. It's a hope of resurrection life because of Jesus. Cleansing and forgiveness and life. And going through it, by the name of Jesus with trust in Jesus is different than a bath that you take. Maybe not every day, but most days. It's different. That is a marker saying, I want to be part of Jesus. And in the book of Acts, it happens when people decide to follow Jesus. That's what happens. They get baptized. Right away. I'm in. I want to follow Jesus. So I just want to encourage you if you haven't been baptized, right, young or old, consider this eunuch, right? What prevents me from being baptized? What's getting in the way? Pray about it. Ask God. Are you real? I want to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your salvation plan that included this guy who had no hope of a future family, no hope of a legacy, but who wanted to worship the God of Israel. And then, Lord, you had a mission to tell him the good news about Jesus and to bring him into the people of God the new temple that you were building for the spirit to dwell in. And I just thank you so much that um, you've brought so many of us to faith in Jesus. And I just pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and grow in us a desire to live and love like him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm going to ask if... uh, Ben, Hannah, you don't have Naomi with you, right? Would you guys come and uh, pass out the Lord's Supper for us? There's two key symbols of our faith. The Catholics call them sacraments, and they add a few others, but uh, two sacred things that we as Christians do we, we baptize and we take bread together what baptism does is it's done to one person and it unites one person with many one person is brought into the many. what the Lord's Supper does communion does is it's done by many people and it makes the many one you see so baptism unites one with many. Communion makes many one. Why does it make many one? Because we are eating of the one bread together. This was part of one piece. And now, though it's many, it's still one. If you had enough time, some super glue, you were very clever, you could reconstruct this into one. That's, that's the idea, right? Is that the many are one. We're symbolizing our unity as one body, one family through Jesus. And the beauty of the book of Acts is you can't get more different than a, a, a Jewish person living in Jerusalem than you can from a Ethiopian, dark, dark, dark-skinned Ethiopian eunuch living in Sudan, right? I mean, how different can you be? And yet his baptism united that one random guy with the many who were in Jerusalem. He became part and family of Jesus. And so we have this opportunity now as we take the bread and drink the cup to say we are one through what Jesus Christ has done. Just like that Ethiopian eunuch, We'll get to meet him someday in the new creation. So, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this and remember it's of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. In Isaiah 56, it says, to the eunuchs who keep my covenant, I'll give them a name that's better than sons and daughters. Everybody will remember them for all eternity. Well, we're still reading about this guy today, right? And you'll get to meet him someday, as well as many others, because of the covenant that Jesus made with his blood. Let's drink in remembrance of him. Let's thank God. Lord, thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup. Thank you for your life poured out for us, that we might find life in you. Stir our hearts with love for you, I pray, as we sing now in Jesus' name. Amen.